0: Hello I'm John Ray on the price and value journey recently I was honored to be invited by Julie Keys to present to her group that meets once a month to learn about various issues around leadership and other important issues in team management personal development professional development and so forth and I was fortunate enough to be invited by Julie to present to her group about the power of a generous approach in team management and leadership. With her permission, I've been able to repurpose that presentation in this podcast. I hope you enjoy it.
1: So welcome everybody to another Key Strategies Learning Session. This is something that we just started this year in 2023 uh, on a quarterly basis to present on topics that we have been told and are hearing that are super important to business leaders all over the country. And today, we have the honor of John Ray presenting for us, uh, talking about leading with a generosity mindset. We know that we have um, a lot of businesses out there, privately held businesses with leadership that's going to be changing hands and has been changing hands. I have clients who are in the throes of doing that right now, and I have many who will be right and so what does that take what is it what does it take to be a really good leader and what is having a generosity mindset what does that got to do with it so john is a radio host and a podcast producer we were just talking about podcasts and he is also a partner with studio or i'm sorry with north fulton studio of business radio x and he helps business to business professionals with pricing Um, that's a that's a huge topic. It's a hot topic. It's kind of a touchy topic sometimes with professional advisors, right, on pricing, and he's an expert on it. But today he's going to be talking about grooming those leaders. And so I'm just going to mute myself and take it away, John, and then when you're finished, we will uh, jump into some questions.
0: Thank you, Julie. And again, I'm so grateful that you had asked me to present to your group. I'm, that's a, an honor, and I appreciate the work you do. You you and I've known each other a while now and you do terrific work and I appreciate following you. your work. So thank you.
1: Um, thanks for being here. I, yeah. it's an honor to have you too. You've got yeah. uh, great expertise and I'm anxious to hear what you have to say.
0: Yeah. Well, thank okay. you. Well, just jumping off. So just to set this up for everyone and, and thank you for taking the time to come on because your time's valuable and I appreciate that. Um, uh, as Julie said, I have a business advisory practice, and it's aimed mostly at professional services firms, and I I, I do some outside CFO work that I don't really advertise that much, um, but most of that practice is oriented toward, as Julie said, helping professional services providers with their pricing, and, um, and then my fun job is I'm a podcast host and do that work. And I'll allude to that in a second. But um, I'm working on a book and the book is called The Price and Value Journey, Raising Your Confidence, Your Value and Your Prices Using the Generosity Mindset Method. Now, this seems contradictory to people when I talk to them about this. It's like, how do I, how do I be generous? How is, being generous and raising my prices, how does that all fit together? Well, well, that's a great question, and I'm going to answer it in that book. But as I've written that book, what has occurred to me, and this may be my second book, Julie, we'll see. You can challenge me on this later. But um, is that there's a, a mindset of generosity that we can bring to our leadership roles that is uh, really important and valuable. And so, I want to, that's really what I want to talk about is generous, uh, gen- uh, what is a generous leadership and where does that show up and how do we think about that? Um, now, one way to define this for me is that generous leadership is leading through giving without the certainty of how that giving will come back to you. Now this is flies in the face of a lot of things we learn in business school. It flies in the face of a lot of things that we have grown up believing. Um, And I'm not saying that return on investment is suddenly a, a a bad thing. Okay. So don't get me wrong. Um, But it's it is a belief in some principles that I think we know intuitively. I mean, one of those principles is um, the law of reciprocity. So, a lot of you may have heard of the law of reciprocity, where um, you know, for example, if if, if Julie um, does something nice for me, then I I, I feel an obligation to Julie, or I feel uh, drawn to Julie, even better said, right, in some way, uh, because she's done done something uh, for me that's thoughtful and generous, and I'm I'm drawn to her, right? So, um, and I want to reciprocate that in some way. So when you've ever been in a business meeting and you've done something for someone as part of that meeting, and they say, well, what can I do for you? Well, see, this is the law of reciprocity at work. Um, but it but here's the big but. Um, I think generosity is the law of reciprocity without a giving to get mentality. So you're not giving to get out of a particular relationship or out of a particular uh, membership in an organization or out of a particular um, um, initiative that you're doing. But you, your belief is that if I give to, and I'm going to say the universe, but you fill in the blank. If I give to my employees, if I give to my company, if I give to my community, I'm going to say the universe. If I give to, my, the, to the universe, that the universe will give back to me in multiple and unexpected ways. And for me, that's part of the fun <laughs> and the satisfaction of life is that when you do that, You get those gifts come back to you in unexpected ways. Um, This avoids giving, which is transactional. So, um, and I'm not criticizing, I'm just observing, okay, here. So, um, but, you know, people give all the time to get their name on a building or, you know, what have you, and that's good. It, it performs great work, but there's something transactional in that. Right. And that doesn't make, again, does not make it bad. Um, but what it says, what it, what, I think there's something more here that we're, I think as human beings called to do and that we don't want to get ourselves in a situation where the only time we give is when it's transactional. And I guess that's the tension that we are, we're always we always have in our heads, or to me about this topic, right? Um, the reason I bring this up is because people's radar is very acute. People can sniff transactional a mile away. This is whether it's true from employees, our customers, um, our uh, uh, colleagues in the, in, in our respective industries, they can sniff out when the transactional a mile away. So, so with that said, l- let me talk, let me talk a little bit about, I guess, what the, um kind of what the characteristics, or I guess the, 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 the dichotomy is here. I mean, because what you're talking about at it as at its extremes are a generosity mindset versus a mindset of scarcity. Okay. Um, and by the way, one point, um, any mindsets that we have, whether it's about generosity or scarcity or anything else, they are not binary and they're not fixed. We, we have a tendency, all of us, to be somewhere in the middle of these things, and none of us, in most cases, are at one ex- extreme or the other, and we drift between these two extremes based on our predilections, how we were raised, the 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 self talk we have in our heads, um, our influences in life, and our circumstances. Um, so it's kind of important for us to interrogate where we are, <laughs> um, and to be honest with where we are. Right. Um, um, so let's talk about some of the, what the characteristics of a generosity mindset versus a mindset of scarcity. Um, for example, abundance, abundance is present always. Um, and can be shared versus a mindset of scarcity, which says resources are limited and much must be hoarded. So the world is a generous place. It gives to us if we give to it. It sometimes gives to us when we don't give to it versus an idea that the pie is fixed. Um, Enjoyment and giving and sharing and helping others versus seeing giving as a loss that must be avoided in some way, um, or made up later. Um, being, being, uh, and by the way, this outline that I'm working off of, I'm happy to send out later. So if that takes pressure off writing it down, I'm happy to give it to Julie and let her send it out to everyone. Um, um being, uh, Grateful for what's given, and seeking opportunities to give back in 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 that gratefulness, in that gratitude, versus the fear of not having enough. Um, a collaborative approach, seeking win win solutions, versus a competitive approach that everyone's our competitor. That you know, it's a tooth and claw world, right? Um, encouraging personal growth and development versus hindering personal growth and development. I'll talk about this with employees later. Um, That life is full of abundance and possibilities versus limitations and obstacles. Again, just reiterate, this is not, most people are not on either poll here and we drift between these poles, And sometimes we score higher, uh, on one of these elements than another. Um, um, so we're not consistent all the way down the line here, but, um, Oh, here's another one I missed. Um, money and capital, money and capital as a tool for creating opportunities and enriching lives. Versus money and capital as a scarce resource to be protected at all cost. Um, one example of that is uh, I'm I'm reading uh, Bernie Marcus's book right now. Um, Bernie Marcus, co-founder of Home Depot, and one of the lines in that book that struck me was, "Pay that they operated the company off this philosophy," and I, they grew a little bit, you might say over the years, right? (laughs) Um, but they operated of a philosophy of payroll is an investment. That's what we're talking about. Payroll creates opportunities and enriches lives versus, uh, versus being a scarce resource. um, one place that this shows up uh, here in the in the nonprofit world is a concept called asset-based community development, and this is a really important um, trend that we have seen in the way a lot of uh, nonprofits and charitable organizations have looked at their role, um, and since and a lot of them have been real frank with themselves and saying, the problem we're trying to solve is not getting better. And so we need to look at why that is. And part of that has to do with, uh, looking at their, the community they serve. I'll, I'll put it, put it in that context. Um, instead of focusing on deficits, focusing on the assets in a community, and building from there versus focusing on the deficits and needs. So, for example, um, looking at what is there versus what's missing, Um, looking at possibilities versus problems, strengths, capacities, and assets versus needs. What are our strengths that we have? What are our assets that we have? Let's go deep on that question. Um, Doing with and enabling to do with whatever you have versus doing to. So um, working inside out in a community or in an organization versus a top down command control command and control kind of philosophy um there's a lot more to say about ABCD but i encourage you to maybe dip into it and and think about it and i can answer more questions about it but um but putting it into practice involves several things that i think all of us can take and use in our teams and our organizations. One is collecting stories. That's one of the places ABCD starts is collecting stories. And the idea of collecting stories is, number one, the stories are powerful. Um, um, We have a, it's almost built into our DNA in terms of how we respond to stories. Um, Collecting stories in this case helps reinforce strengths. It helps discover strengths and discover assets. Sometimes when we ask people to share, we learn things about them that we never knew before. Um, one of the things I do when I facilitate a group is I go around as a, you know, as a, as a, because I'm the like the guy that knows nothing about anybody, right? So I go in and I say, "Tell me the one thing that you wish people would ask you about that they don't know." Or t- right, tell me the one thing that um people would be surprised about if they knew about you. And it's amazing what comes out of that. That just that one question, right? Um and you discover assets that people have that they have been shy to talk about or have never shared before. Um, And sometimes those assets are, are those capabilities are capabilities you can use in some way in the organization. Um, Then mapping assets, gifts, and capabilities of group members. So you, you collect these stories and you're, you're basically you're doing a census of, The assets, the gifts, the capabilities of this group, of this community, of this organization, whatever you're talking about here, and you're mapping those um, or compiling those, another way to say it. Um, And what that does is create um, a balance sheet of soft assets that you did not know maybe that you fully had right, that you can utilize to the the good of your organization. Um, And then asking the group, because the group's already participating here, asking the group to contribute to a shared vision and plan that is based on those assets. So that might be something very specific. Um, That might be um, something um, wider, Uh, but... But you've done the work to help bring the group along toward um, being able to to see the assets that maybe they didn't recognize that can be used to fulfill that shared vision. Um, Let's talk a little bit about characteristics of generous leadership. And this is not an all-inclusive list. Um, but there, there are things that occur to me as I, um, have done some of the work I've done and, and observed the, the people that I think are successful at putting this general leadership of generosity mindset into place. I'm going to number one I've got on my list is laughter. Now, that's not the one that people would expect to be number one, but I put it number one for a simple reason is that the world sorely needs it right now. And if the world sorely needs it right now, then you can bet the people in your organization need it right now, unless you're doing a fantastic job keeping people in a good frame of mind all the time. And it's hard, even if you're trying, it's hard, right? Uh, because unfortunately they consuming a whole lot of stuff out there that you can't control. Um, But if you're not thinking about that, I would encourage it. And here's the thing. Just the ability for us as leaders to laugh at ourselves is so important. It's a trust builder. I mean, think about it. If I'm able to, the the people, well, let, let me put it this way, I, the people that I think about in, in my life, um, w- one of their consistent themes that, that stand out for the most successful ones are the ones that, uh, they have a great sense of humor about their mistakes, right? <laughs> hey, I screwed that up. You know, I, I screwed that up bigger than Dallas. You know, I mean, I, I can, I can hear some of them in my head, you know, and that, that creates an openness. It it relieves tension and it relieves stress that people have, and it also it it builds trust, and trust is the biggest currency I think we have in business, particularly today with the lack of trust that's going on in the world, whether it 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 well really across the board when it comes to institutions, and we know all those um, statistics, and we see it played out in in um, in the world, all the time. Um, I actually uh, know of a company that, um, for their awards dinner, um, every year they bring in a comedian, um, and that comedian does the homework to make his MCing work around that awards. Um, he, he does his homework to figure out like where he needs to poke a little fun and have fun. Um, I know another company that they, uh, ha- they, uh, they're an accounting, uh, search firm. Uh, that's they, so they do executive search for accountants and CPAs. And their big thing is every year they raise, they have a big event where they raise money for junior achievement, but then they, the whole theme of it is they, uh, they give an award to the world's funniest accountant. So, so they, they, they recruit accounting accountants, so CPAs from their, uh, the, their network to enter this competition and they rent out a whole comedy club. They, they close the place down and rent it out and they do a big fundraiser for junior achievement. And it's a big deal, you know, and it, I love that because it's not only laughter, but it goes against type, right? And and so it it creates a different mindset around their whole business, and I love that. Um, so another characteristic of generous leadership, you would expect me to say gratitude, and yes, I'm going to say gratitude. And gratitude is, let me just say this: yes, it's about gratitude is about being thankful. It's about bu- building relationships that get created and deepened because you're of, 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 gratitude. Um, it's creating a positive feedback loop because you're encouraging gratitude in others. Right. Um, but I would say just one thing about gratitude is let's think about using gratitude in a way beyond just "Hey, great job on this thing I assigned you to. Um, here's an idea. Um, Thank you for having the courage to try something different. See, that's really opens people up to innovation and ideas. And um, innovation and ideas are what drive our organizations in ways that we might not go otherwise. Um, listening. So, you know... The, <laughs> This is one of these things where I'll just say we all think we listen better than we do, and that's just not my opinion. That's what the stats say, and we all think people have a perception of us that is not quite right because we don't listen effectively enough. And everybody knows that two ears and one mouth thing, but we don't, we don't. We it's something. We it's a it's a lifetime amount of work to be an effective listener. Um, and so I'm constantly, well, I, I did another show on this. I'm posting it tomorrow on LinkedIn about, um, uh, uh, an expert on listening. I'm doing that not because I think the world needs it as much as I need it. Okay. So I do it to, for, to, for myself. And if somebody else wants to come along and benefit from that, great. But it reminds me of, sharpening that skill because we can never uh, sharpen that skill enough. Um, A subset of listening is asking questions and learning how to ask effective questions Um, because you cannot ask effective questions if you're not listening effectively. Um, Catalytic questions are really important. And by catalytic questions, this is a, a, a term, if you will, by a fellow named Hal Gregerson, um, who talked about questions that break open and get the truth in the room. One of the things he encourages, and we don't have time to go into it right now, but he encourages a practice called question burst, where you attack a problem only with a group, small group, Simply by asking questions about it. You're limited to asking questions, not providing solutions, asking questions. What if we did this? What about that? And I know that sounds weird, (laughs) but I've been through this exercise and it's very powerful. What comes out of it? So. More on, I'll have that in the outline for you, and you can look at that later. Uh, But, so, vulnerability. Now, this is one where I know some people, like, want to hit, like, leave the meeting. Because we've heard so much about vulnerability, right? Um, Here's my thought about vulnerability. It's not dramatically oversharing who you are. It's just being human, right? Right. Um, because we have to examine our motivations for sharing what we share. Um, because sometimes that it can be a little transactional, right? I mean, you've seen that where people share in order to get a response and that's not what it vulnerability at its best is. It's just being human and saying, Hey, I'm, I've got these same problems you do, right? In the middle of the pandemic, I'm feeling the same things you're feeling. That's it. And you don't have to say, hey, my spouse has depression right now and it's really dragging me down. You can say, I've got things going on at home right now and I just need your grace. That's all you have to say. So it's, 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 um, so I get the concern about what vulnerability is. That's one way I think about it. And then there's stability. So stability in a very chaotic world is really, really important. I think calm is part of that as well. Um, one of the most popular things I ever put up was um, on a, as a post was something I put up right at the beginning of the pandemic was about calm. Is that like as professional services providers, which is my tribe, um, our biggest value that we can give to people, we could have given to people at that moment and frankly right now, (laughs) because it's a crazy time right now too, um, is calm. It's just being the the non-anxious presence that people can rely on that we don't bring a um, can of gasoline to the conversation. Um, Sometimes how we react to a negative event is much more important because it's more memorable than the implications of the event itself. Now think about that. Think about the people that you've run into in the past. Like, think about the pandemic. Maybe that's an an example. The 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 people where we have come through that, right? But you still remember those who reacted in certain ways, right? That really, again, brought gasoline to the to the to the problem instead of calm, instead of um, stability. And, and then when we, do, when, we, when we are calm and when we offer stability to our uh, team, we're modeling healthy coping mechanisms. And people need that today. That's one thing people are lacking is healthy coping mechanisms. So let's, um, I'm going to give a few examples of where generous leadership shows up. Um, and I've got a few examples that involve customers, uh, employees and sales and marketing. So pros- prospective clients. Okay. So let's talk about, um, let's talk about employees first, um, encouraging personal growth and development. Um, you know, I, I get really, um, dismayed when I see, um, I, corporate, uh, major corporations are generally guilty of this. Um, I will invite someone on a show and they'll tell me, well, I'm not allowed to speak for the organization or that has to go up through, you know, media approval or whatever. And I'm like, well, that, you know, or such and such speaks for the organization. I'm like, well, I, the invite's not to such and such. I want to talk to you, right? Um, and it's it's odd to me that um, that big corporations, as smart as they claim to be, can't figure out a way to highlight their people any better than that. Um, and that has a lot to do with encouraging personal growth and development, right? Uh, uh, encouraging people to 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 um, figuring out a way to let people expand their horizons, right? Um, and that might not have anything to do with the employee's current role. And isn't that kind of part of the point, right? We're supposed to be developing people. Speaking of Julie's comment about uh, you know developing leadership with generations how, through the generations how are you going to do that if you don't if you're not actively trying to encourage bigger thinking and more capability in your employees in some way and that's a generous act and sometimes you don't get anything out back out of that that's immediate at all um but the practice itself comes back. A willingness to tolerate mistakes, even when you know what the outcome will be. Boy, there's a big one right there. (laughs) When you know, as the leader of the organization or the leader of the team, you know that everybody's going down the wrong way, right? Um, Sorry, I've got Bernie Marcus on my mind because I'm I'm finishing up his book right now. But he talks about a meeting he had with Arthur Blank and a couple of other his people and where he was on one side and they were on the other side on a particular issue. And he said, you know, by George, I'm the CFO. I think the language is more colorful, but by George, I'm the CEO here. And this is my decision. This is my company. And, you know, I'm making this decision. And so because he was tired of the arguing. um he slept on it and came back the next morning and he realized that was not the way to conclude that meeting. And he said, y'all come back in here and we want to talk about this. And of course everybody comes back in with heads down, you know, right. Because they're discouraged about that, about that. And he said to them, he says, I think I may have cut off that discussion in a way that was terrible. In fact, I didn't, it wasn't me. I, I it wasn't a that uh, it w- it wasn't a, a situation where it was possible that I might have done that. I did it. Okay, so that's the deal. I did it. Um. So let's talk it through. I want to start at the beginning and let's talk it through. And and ever I want to hear from everybody on why why you think this is the right way to go. And it turns out that they went ahead and they did that and whatever. Decision was made on. I can't remember what the topic was. Turned out to be the right decision, and he was wrong. Um, that's not always the case. We know this, but people cannot learn without making mistakes, and we know this in our lives, right? What we learn from are the mistakes that we've made, and we've got to tolerate mistakes, not the ones that take the organization off a cliff. I get that, but but the ones that we know. Are simply tuition that we're paying for people to learn. Um, I'm not a, uh, I'm not pushing anything here, but um, because I don't own one, but there's there are employee assistance programs that um, some of you may have in your organization, but they provide counseling and support services for employees. Stress management services, financial counseling, boy, that's an important one for a lot of younger people that cannot afford a, a home, That where home affordability is a problem across the United States and a lot of communities. Legal advice, where younger employees cannot afford that. Um, these programs create much higher job satisfaction, lower levels of stress and anxiety, improve relations with coworkers. Um, statistically that's the case so this is just this is a work-life balance question that is a way to address work-life balance um without that having to be a big deal right um so i just put that out there um for you to think about um real quickly, because I want to get to the uh, end of this, and uh, I'd rather hear your questions as, and thoughts as opposed to me talking much longer. Um, let's talk about customers. So, empowering employees to fix problems. When have we ever been in a um, an environment where somebody could fix a problem that you had without having to like go up eight levels to get that done. And how, how you felt about that organization when that happened, um, you felt a lot better about doing business with them, right? I mean, cause we all know problems are gonna occur, but when, some, when the employees are empowered to fix those problems, that really improves customer retention. Um, listening and empathy, just like we were talking about earlier about where the world is in terms of where people are in terms of their, um, the, the negatives that they see in the world. I think sometimes people are walking around with the chip on their shoulder, just looking for a reason to unload and their problem is really not what with your company. It's really the fact that they can't find anybody that'll listen to them. And it's not just the little old lady or the little old guy that doesn't have any, that is alone in the assisted living place and doesn't have anybody to talk to and is calling customer service. It's not just those folks, although they're there, they exist, but it's people that don't have any place to listen and they're frustrated. They think the world's a pretty negative place and they unload because that's the way they see the world and sometimes just listening and, and being able to give employees tools with which to like diagnose that and, and deal with that and give them the grace to like have a conversation as, as opposed to, and we're not giving people therapy, of course, but what we are doing is giving people a chance just to, be human, right? And um, instead of doing the—I won't mention any names—but the you know the 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 uh, uh, big uh, mail order company that we all know and love, and we're all customers of—that times their employee interactions and phone calls, uh, and and make sure that they their customer service number cannot be found. <laughs> so you know that's that's the difference, right? Um, rooting customer complaint calls to the highest ranking senior executive. Um, again, Home Depot did this for years until they got successor management and that got all screwed up, but they referred to it as, uh, calling Ben Hill. Ben Hill is actually the name of a road here in Atlanta. um, And and when, um, a customer complaint would come in, that was pretty serious the they, the operators were instructed to route that to Ben Hill. Um, and Ben Hill happened to be whoever the highest ranking senior executive that could be found. And that sometimes was Bernie Marcus. It sometimes was Arthur blank, but. What they found was they learned a whole lot about the organization and its shortcomings by doing that. And, you know, there's the old Bill Gates quote that people repeat, but maybe we all don't put it into practice as much as we could is our biggest source of learning is a disgruntled customer. So that's what you're really doing by creating a process around dealing with disgruntled customers. Um, then sales and marketing. So let's talk about that real briefly. And, uh, I see your question or your comment there, Julie. So I'll come to that in a second. Um, sales as helping others find solutions to their problems. So, sales defined that way. Um, this means that their problem may not be one you have a solution for. So let's just be frank about that, right? We don't have a solution for everybody's problem. And so sometimes our solution may be simply to help them find a answer to their problem elsewhere. Um, And by the way, that's better for us. Because if we're taking on customers that we can't really solve their problems, then we're, we, we're creating a monster. Um, so that's getting comfortable with the idea of, that a successful sale might not result in immediate revenue. And I put sale in quotes there. Um, that if we say that a sale is a solution and sometimes the solution comes from outside our organization, then by definition, we might not get revenue from that. But that act of generosity will come back. It always comes back. Um, that's what I have found in my work. Um, one of the little tactics this involves is getting rid of all the pre-made decks and presentations, okay, so um, on what, what my thing is. So, um, you know, how, for example, I can help you with your pricing and having a pre, uh, done deck that I ha- dutifully march every prospect through. Um, wow. What a way to say that everybody's going to fit in my box, not I'm going to try to understand them first. Right. Cause that's really what that involves. Um, this is why uh, one reason talking about podcasting, just to bring that in for a second, this is one thing that really, um, why I ended up getting involved in this as another business. Um, because, and actually, uh, um, Julie's a great example of this. So I'm just going to highlight you, Julie. Um, where you can create a podcast that has, there are variations on this, of course, but you can do a podcast that is you as the guru talking about your thing, whatever that is and sharing your expertise with the world. Um, some of that, I can't imagine anybody wants to listen to. I can't imagine, I mean, as much as I love my CPA, I can't imagine listening to him go drone on and on about the latest tax act. Um, um, versus the idea that I'm going to highlight others. I'm, I'm going to highlight others, interview others and showcase them. And I'm comfortable with that, right? I don't ha- have the ego need of having to like talk about myself. I can highlight others. And here's the interesting thing about that. When you have that kind of philosophy, that philosophy of generosity in a podcast, what happens is um, I've got a friend of mine who used to be an anchor here in uh, Atlanta, one of the big television stations. And he said, John, he said, he said when when I was anchor, he said, um, people thought I knew a lot just because I had a mic, right? And he said, I get all these invites all over the place to speak and to be a MC and, um, you know, uh, uh, be the uh, master of ceremonies for this dinner and that dinner that, you know, that was a lot of fun and, uh, and profitable. (laughs) And it's interesting that when you highlight others and you do that in an organized way, uh, and that's really what Julie does in her podcast, you create, uh, that tribe really, you're the mic at the center of that tribe. And that tribe wants to help you. And that's what always happens in that environment. And that's why um, that's what I advocate for my clients that do a podcast is to do it that way. And quit talking about yourself. And you will get something out of it. And I actually had a uh I've got an attorney right now. And if you know anything about the, the business of law, it's extremely hard to recruit attorneys if you're trying to build a firm. And this guy <laughs> Has figured out, I love this idea. Is the way he's recruiting is to go out and interview other attorneys. Now, if you've never, if you know anything about attorneys, you know that they like to talk. So they always are happy to get that invitation, right? And so he's building relationships out there among attorneys and hiring some of them for his firm through a podcast. And now that is pretty, that's the best recruiting story I've got for you today. That was, that's a pretty good one. So, um, that, those are some ideas about generosity in sales and marketing. Um, yeah. So I think we're getting kind of down to the end here, aren't we, Julie?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of questions that had come in from some folks previously that I popped in to the chat. Okay. Um, and so and and I don't see that there are any other questions right now but if anyone out there would has a question for John we have a few minutes so please feel free to to pop one in while he's addressing what we have here
0: yeah so my background in the military so I I can't claim to have that um I'm my the only background I've got is is the father of a, a proud father of a young man that's in the air force and uh walking the line in Germany right now. So um Oh
1: wow. Yeah. I thought it was you that was in the military. It's your son.
0: Yeah, it's my son. So uh he That's great. Yeah. He he's Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Well he's doing good work. And um he's um a combat arms instructor in Germany. So that's what he does. Um so employee programs. So you mean the employee assistance programs?
1: Yeah, you briefly mentioned that. And I, I, I've got a client that actually is using the Dave Ramsey program mm-hmm. under, under um, uh, it's an employee like finance, um, you know, mentoring or advice or whatever. I'm not exactly sure how it runs, but it's meant to help the employees with managing their finances, saving money. Um, understanding how money works, that kind of thing, which, you know, we think we'd all know, but you know, they don't teach you that in school. And, and if you didn't get it at home, then you need to go find it. Right. And they have a lot of young employees that work in the field. And so they're, they're using that program right now to help them out as a, as an employee benefit. But you mentioned other ones that I had not heard of before.
0: Yeah. So if you, and I'm not going to like uh, mention any names because it's like I'm endorsing them, and I don't know what you know necessarily right. who is the best and whatnot. But if you if you do a search on employee assistance programs, you'll find a whole series okay. series of organizations that will do that, and they do that for both larger and smaller organizations. So, okay. the way they kind of bundle up their services, they give the benefit of what they do to smaller organizations as well. Um, so that they will have, um, I think I mentioned therapist on call, um, yes, uh, financial counselors, uh, legal advice. And this is just some, one of these real basic things that employees run into that they don't really necessarily want to share with the boss us, Right, um, but they need help, and you're acknowledging that fact, yes. right? So um, that's that's those that's what I'm referring to there.
1: For sure, I I, I actually was uh, in another meeting before we started this today, and there were two people that were in the group. It's like a, a women a women entrepreneurial roundtable um, who were both uh, spe- specifically um, mental health specialists. So. Mm. One actually goes into companies and helps them create programs mm-hmm. to foster mental health because the suicide rate is so high everywhere in the country, not just with, you know, lower level employees or mid-level employees, but like executives too. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's what they were both actually just talking about that. So thanks for bringing that up because that's a huge topic. We have a question here from Tura. Um, what are other specific examples for generous leadership with your employees? That's a good question.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think, I think, um, trusting employees with where they see their development. Sometimes we've got, or maybe we don't, maybe we don't think about this enough, um, is getting people, giving people a clear path as to what is where they can go in the organization. Right. Right. And having conversations around that. And, Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's also saying, you know what, we've done all we can do for you here and you need to go someplace else. And I had that circumstance happen to me. If I can just share that. Um, I had a lady in a company that I, um, ran smaller company, 15 employees. And she was the um person at the front desk. And given what we did, there was no place for her to go. And she had been there, I don't know, three years or something like that. And I called her in and I, I gave this some thought. I called her in and I said, I'm, I'm doing you a favor and I'm letting you go because you need to, do something better for yourself than what you're doing right now. And you're doing, you're going along in this role, but you've done all you can do and you're not growing anymore. Mm. Well, she is now at Emory university running their Um, Mm. some sort of prevention program that Emory has. It's a big job. Mm. And, um, you know, uh, she called me several years later to, and said, I want to have lunch with you. And I was a little trepidatious for this, right? Because I would essentially let her go, fired her, right? Um, with love, but I had fired her. And she said to me, she says, that was the best thing that you, anybody's ever done for me. the The biggest gift. And so if we're just looking out for people's own individual development, in whatever direction that takes, um, it will come back to us.
1: For sure. Well, maybe we could summarize really quick here because we got to wrap up. So some of the key takeaways that you talked about that I think all of us could spend more time pondering, um, one that you said was learning how to be a, a better listener. You said that you've got an event tomorrow. Um, you also are, are uh, working on a new book that you're going to be publishing soon. So we're going to definitely have that in, um, a, as a link in our recording. So you'll have to send me a link on how to go about ordering that book. Um, but you said listening. Um, you said um, letting employees make mistakes. Um, what else did you say, John? Assistance programs. Yes. Just putting this in the chat here so that we we have a good summary. Um, just like you said before, trusting the employees with understanding, you know, and knowing their own development or wanting what they really like. There's a question that I have my clients ask a lot, and that is of their employees, where do you see yourself in the future in, within the company? Right. They don't always ask that question, and I think it's important for them to ask that question. We might get surprised by the answer.
0: Well, and to be comfortable with the answer, right? Mm -hmm. So how we react to the answer is sometimes just as important as the answer, maybe more important. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, great. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Thank you, John, for your generosity and for being a part of this program. We really appreciate it.
0: And that's it. And I would like to thank, again, Julie Keys of Key Strategies so much for inviting me to present to our group if you'd like to know more about julie go to keystrategies.com k-e-y-e strategies.com you can learn more about her and her work and uh, i particularly endorse her poised for exit podcast it's a show for and by business owners about a range of issues in planning your business exit strategy. So check that out. It's on your favorite podcast app. Again, Poised for Exit podcast. And if you would like to know more about this series, go to pricevaluejourney.com. You can find the show archive series there. You can also find the series on your favorite podcast app. And I'd be honored if you're not already a subscriber to subscribe. Thank you in advance for that. If you'd like to know more about my upcoming book that will be released later in 2023, you can also find out more information at pricevaluejourney.com. The name of the book is The Price and Value Journey, Raising Your Confidence, Your Value, and Your Prices Using the Generosity Mindset Method. If you'd like to connect with me directly, feel free to send me an email, john at johnray.co.